Hi, I'm Paul Cuddehy and welcome to the Duran Duran Albums Podcast. And I'm Molly Williams. Join us as we take you on a musical journey of 40 years, 14 albums, countless great songs, and lots of great Duran Duran memories. From the band's self-titled debut album in 1981, through to the Paper Gods release in 2015, and, fingers crossed, a new album in 2021, the Duran Duran Albums podcast celebrates each of the studio albums while telling the story of the band. We chat through each album track by track, pick some of our favourite songs and memories from when the album was first released, and ask podcast listeners to give us their thoughts on each record. And we'll also have interviews with other Duran Duran fans throughout the course of this series, as well as extra episodes on everything from non-album songs, favourite gigs and the band's various side projects. So while you might want to save a prayer till the morning after, listen to the podcast now. Subscribe, spread the word, and celebrate 40 years of great music on the Duran Duran Albums Podcast. Molly, we're on to the 12th studio album, Red Carpet Massacre. And thanks to the wonders of Zoom and the internet, I'm sitting in my house in Glasgow and you're in Southern California in probably slightly better temperatures than me. Uh, but we're here to talk about Duran Duran. So first of all, Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you as well. Hope you had a great Hogmanay. Obviously, this is we, we were wanting to do this anyway, do a kind of transatlantic podcast and you know we're kind of counting down the albums now we've only got three more after this so we're, we're almost at, at the end of the kind of the 15 studio albums I suppose that every time we've done this we start off uh, having a wee chat just in general terms about what we think of the album this one came after Astronaut obviously Andy Taylor leaves between Astronaut and this there's the the lost album that came out of sessions that he was involved in. He leaves and they write a completely new album, Red Carpet Massacre. We'll go through them track by track, obviously. What's your your initial thoughts on it? Yeah, it, I, there, there are a couple of songs that I like on it kind of thing, but I just, it is so, just it's a Timbaland album and it is so of that moment. And it made, it's made me realise that he was just a bit of a one-trick pony, to be perfectly honest. I mean, you can just totally tell. And to be fair, I am a Justin Timberlake fan. Don't get me wrong. I've listened to Justin Timberlake all day long. But um, yeah, not Duran Duran does Justin Timberlake. So I found it really, really interesting when I was doing the research for the album that depending on which, which uh, article you read about it, some are, are very bland, like Duran Duran pursued Timberland because he was of the moment and they wanted to bring a, you know, a contemporary vibe to it. But then other um, articles that I read was very much how Timbaland was thrust upon him by the record label. And it turned into, pardon my French, a bit of a fucking nightmare as per John Taylor, I believe is the one that <laughs> I've stolen that quote from. So, so yeah, it's um, an interesting one that, it, that a band that had been going for as long as they had been still prone to the whims of their, of their record label. Got to do what they say. Because it's funny, I remember even at the time, and even, I mean, I'm obviously not down with the kids, so I had no idea who Timberland was. I'd obviously heard of Justin Timberlake. So that confused me. There was a Timberland, a Timberlake. I know that there's boots that are Timberlands. The whole thing was just a bit confusing for me. Setting that aside, and then as you say, when you're, we're looking into it then, and we'll probably talk about this in the course of the podcast, there is that the Holy Grail, the, the mythical reportage album that, that people keep talking about that by all accounts they had recorded about 14 songs for this which would be the follow-up to Astronaut Andy Leaves and so I don't know whether it was less hassle because he'd have been involved in those songs they decide just to produce a, an absolute right from scratch a brand new album I would have listened to it a bit at the time but I, I've listened to it more really since we've been doing this podcast I mean at the moment and certainly after listening to it for this episode this is really pushing hard for my top five. That's how much I like this album. There, there'll be a few things I'll say that will probably surprise people, but I really, really like this album. It is completely different. I mean, certainly when you think of it's been sandwiched in between Astronaut, which was the, the five of them reforming, All We Need Is Now, which is probably, as we said in the last one, 
the kind of classic, not reunion, Duran Duran album, but it's the one that's most closely linked to the Rio sound. And this one is completely different. It's a completely different sound. So I think that's why it kind of divides opinion. I think people are quite split on it. That Some people, and we'll see from the comments, some people love it, some people quite like it. There's other people who, who don't like it. I'm firmly in the camp of absolutely loving it. I'm actually quite surprised by that one. I was, I was kind of expecting you to, to fall a bit on the other side of the, the fence. I, I'm pretty firmly on the, on the fence with it because, again, you know, like I said, I, I do like the Justin Timberlake sound, Timberlake, Timberland. I'm doing the same thing as you. <laughs> Mixed up. But um, it just doesn't feel like Duran Duran to me. So, so whilst I have enjoyed the album, I wouldn't actually consider it a Duran Duran album. Right. I'm a bit of a purist, I suppose, on, on, in that respect. But yeah, with, with regards to the whole um, Andy thing, my a bit of a conspiracy theorist, perhaps, but I just wonder if there was some sort of legal wrangling that, that meant that Duran Duran couldn't actually release Reportage. He'd had too much of a hand in that one. And, and maybe for legal reasons, they haven't ever been able to release it. But I think what I have seen time and time again in the research is people desperate to hear the Reportage album and just it needs to get released. So come on, Duran Duran, get it done. Yeah, I'm sure at one point they will. I don't know whether it's because he would have co- written all the songs and, you know, whether it was maybe needed his permission and because obviously everything ended up acrimonious at the very least they couldn't get, you know, there didn't seem to be a lack of contact and they probably thought, because they were definitely getting pressure on from the record company to produce another album and then maybe thought the quickest thing is just to put this one out. But I, I like, again, this is definitely one of those ones where, you know, Duran Duran trying to do something different from what is expected of them. As I say, for some people that, works for some people it doesn't work we got quite a few comments from people via twitter the first of which was andy who i think she's based in the south of spain she did a a previous top three and kind of exactly to what you just said molly she said not a very duran duran sounding album which is what probably puts many people off but i really love this one i was sort of missing in action during the reunion years but started listening again when red carpet massacre came out I remember dancing around my lounge to this one a lot. It's fun and makes me want to dance. Yeah, and I would absolutely agree with that one because it is very much a, a dance sort of album. Where, did you find yourself dancing around the kitchen in your socks to it, Paul? I did on lots of occasions. Nothing to do with like the Christmas cheer or anything else like that going on, huh? <laughs> well, that, that might Excellent. have something I, to do with it. Maybe, maybe just a little bit, but there's nothing wrong with a bit of Christmas cheer whilst dancing. Holy advocate that one. The next Twitter that uh, tweet that we got was from Gary J. Carroll. And he said, this is why I love Duran Duran. Changing, evolving, experimenting. A solid, chunky, underrated LP. The best opener of any DD album. The Valley is perfection. I saw them in Sydney and Melbourne for this tour. And the Electro set, dot, dot, dot. So yeah, I guess he was a bit of a fan. That would be... A great, almost like a podcast in itself. I'd be interested to see what people think of what would be their favourite opening track of a Duran Duran album because, you know, I, I put a lot, of, a lot of store into that. I'm not quite sure if I think The Valley's the, the best opener of any Duran Duran album, but it's a really, that'd be a really interesting discussion point in that one. Maybe we'll need to sneak in that one as a bit of an extra when we're counting down the albums. Absolutely. I think you get, you get a lot of interest in that. Another uh, yeah. comment has come in from Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. Twitter handle is just LP, who says, I love Red Carpet Massacre, the song live, and Box Full of Honey. When they came to Rio and Sao Paulo, I went to three shows in three days in a row. Unforgettable. Nice one. I like a little bit of groupie dumb and having to, to hit all of the, the gigs of a tour. Good shout. Uh, next one came from Madaz and Nick. And um, they say, it's actually one of my favorite Duran Duran albums. Parts of it really remind me of Seven and the Racket Tiger, The Valley, Dirty Great Monster, and Last Man Standing. A great album closer. And they always tend to go a bit Arcadia on the closing track. I guess I never really thought of that one. Box Full of Honey and She's Too Much, both lovely too, and Tricked Out is fun. So it sounds like he pretty much has named every single one of the tracks on the album. So a definite fan. Yeah, because I think actually, see, when the comments that we got in, probably the majority of them were positive comments. And again, I think we've seen this in the past that maybe people are more reluctant to be negative, which I think is a good thing anyway. But the people who are more positive are the ones that are more likely to respond, although there are a couple of negative comments coming up soon. Fabiana, who 
again, is a, a big supporter of the, the podcast and has been a previous guest on it from Argentina. She says this album is fantastic considering the situation it was recorded in. Andy never made it to the USA. They had to put a stop to reportage and start from scratch. A completely new record without guitars on it. Having the label breathing down their necks and basically pushing them to work with Timberland and Justin Timberlake. It's really underrated. The title track is amazing. Cry Baby Cry is such a gem, which is a bonus track on the, the Japanese version of the album. Tempted just makes me want to dance. Killer bass lines in the valley. Skin Divers is fabulous. So I'll zoom in and box full of honey. And Fabiana's least favourite track is Falling Down. Interesting that, that, you know, now a few people have mentioned how danceable this album is. And I'm sure I, I read a comment from Roger that they had the original intention of even Reportage was to go back to their roots and, and create more of a dancey sort of album. And, you know, I think even though they were forced into using Timberland and, and Justin Timberlake, that's what they do. So, you know, in that, in that respect, I think they've definitely done what they set out to do as far as that goes. Okay, here comes one of the... Uh, maybe the, the slightly less positive ones from Graham. And um, he says, number 11 in my Duran Duran album chart. Top three tracks though are Cry Baby Cry, the Japanese bonus track, Box Full of Honey, and She's Too Much. Collaboration with Timbaland didn't really work. And I can imagine the lost album Reportage was probably better. Album tour was great though, with Electra set a highlight. What strikes me, and again, if you're at the record company or the band, I think there's a, I mean, even just from the, the responses we've had and when you see the Twitter chat, there's a market there. If they brought out Reportage as the, the lost album, as it were, people would snap it up in a second. There's a real hunger, I think, to listen to that because that would have been really the last stuff that they did as the five piece anyway. And it's maybe the, the, the missing album that you would slot in in the kind of post-reunion era. So I think people are, People are desperate, I think, to hear this. So, yeah, maybe we need to start a campaign on, on Twitter or something like that. Bring back reportage. <laughs> well, you know, that the band will probably be listening to the podcast anyway, so they'll get the feedback from us. The next uh, comment is somebody who's not a fan of uh, Red Carpet Massacre. Strider tag, <laughs> married without children, brackets yet, which is a, it's a, a great uh, Twitter handle. They say, there are a few albums that I hate. Red Carpet Massacre is one of them. A few songs save it from being trash. Zoom in, she's too much. Dirty Great Monster, The Instrumental Tricked Out, and even Box Full of Honey, which is about five songs out of the 12. So that's like... I think that's pretty you, good. Yeah, I don't know if you can hate an album if you think five of the songs are okay. They go on to say, it must be because I don't like the generic R&B that was all the rage at the time in the early 2000s. I understand that Duran Duran wanted to appeal to a new audience, but the style didn't blend for me. Looks like Andy was right to jump off at the time. Now that's an interesting concept. Maybe um, he, he foresaw that this is the way things were going. Who knows? The next one is from one of our regular contributors to the podcast, Velvet Rebel Music. Hello. He's saying, Falling Down was the low. Horrible choice as a lead single and it sunk the album. Tempted, The Valley, Red Carpet Massacre and Night Runner are all quite good. Perhaps the right time for this album by a band that fired its guitarist during the recording session. It'd be interesting to compare this album to whatever they were doing for Reportage and see how in the space of less than a year that sound had either evolved, developed, or what the difference Andy being in the band would have made. I mean, it was a combination of them getting rid of him, but you know, he obviously didn't want to come back either. Yeah, and maybe maybe that's what it was all about, that um, perhaps things were so bitter between the rest of the band and Andy that they did just want to totally go you know, a 180 from, from what reportage had been planned to be. Oh, we just need to listen to reportage so we can do a comparison. Come Ex on. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The last comment is again from another uh, long-time supporter of the podcast and a previous guest, Scott Parsons, who says, uber underrated and creative album. John Taylor's move from synth bass to funky bass guitar on The Valley is amazing. Roger Strum's throughout Red Carpet Massacre, so innovative. Wish Duran Duran put out the electro set from NYC Residency on an LP or an EP. Also, the interplay between the acoustic guitar and the bass is phenomenal on Box Full of Honey. Hopefully, and like, like many other people, Scott finishes by saying, hopefully Duran Duran will one day release Reportage. So maybe when we put this podcast out, it should be Red Carpet Massacre album brackets, please release Reportage episode. 
Absolutely. Push that thought all the way through it. Make sure they do sit up and take notice. Wouldn't that be fantastic if they came out with like this, this announcement in the next couple of weeks, you know, they've decided to release it and we can sit back quite humble and go, maybe we had a small part in making that decision. Yeah, I thought you were going to say that wouldn't it be great if they announced in two weeks' time that after listening to the Duran Duran Albums podcast, we've decided to release reportage. Well, you know, that might be the ultimate dream, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be so bold as to actually come right out and say that one. We'll keep our fingers crossed at some point. Because it's the other thing, because they take, it's almost like a five years between each album now, that would be the perfect filler, as it were, between the future past and if they do decide to release another new album in about four or five years' time drop that right in the middle, reportage, and it keeps everybody happy. I hope they don't wait that long again for another album because, I mean, you know, they're, they're not spring chickens any longer. You know, they can't, can't be putting things off because who knows what will happen. Normally what we do now is we get on to talking about the actual tracks themselves. But for this episode, we've got an extra piece of audio again. So later on, we're going to hear, I spoke to a Duran Duran fan called Amy Harbour, who's a model and actor. On our Twitter bio, it says Chicago body, Ohio soul. So um, she talks about uh, Red Carpet Massacre quite passionately. So we'll hear from her later. We've also got another top three from Argentina, from a young fan called Maria, who sent kindly sent in a top three. So what we're going to do just now is we're going to continue with the Duran Duran story. We're on to part 14. And as always, it is narrated by my daughter, Rebecca, Rebecca, take it away. The Story of Duran Duran, Part 14. Duran Duran's 12th studio album, Red Carpet Massacre, came out in November 2007. It was not the album that many fans had expected, nor was it the album that the band had been working on following the release of Astronaut. The band had 14 tracks completed for what was meant to be the Reportage album, due for release in May 2006. However, with the acrimonious departure of guitarist Andy Taylor, that album was shelved and the four remaining members hastily began working on new songs, which would become the Red Carpet Massacre album. For this album, Duran Duran also worked with record producer Timberland and also Justin Timberlake, and those collaborations certainly produced a different sound from what fans might have expected. It was only later that there were conflicting reports that the producers were foisted upon the band by the record company. In the event, the Red Carpet Massacre album received mixed reviews and a mixed reaction from fans. It charted at number 36 in the United States and number 44 in the UK while Falling Down, the only single to be released from the album, did not perform well on the charts. Red Carpet Massacre was also the second and final album to be released by the band on Epic Records. As for the mythical Reportage album, Judan Judan fans continue to await with bated breath its eventual release. I don't know actually what Rebecca is going to do when we finish these podcasts. I think she'll be bereft. We're going to have to think up another project because, you know, I think uh, Lynn's has said and, and, you know, some of the others that they want us to do something else. But I know that you've said that you're going to take a break from social media. So, guys, we've only got a few more podcasts left. Better cherish these and just you'll have to listen to the others over and over and over again. I won't complain. I think we did say at some point, I mean, we almost stumbled upon another podcast idea for best opening tracks but I think at some point we will do like a series where we are talking to people about the top five and how they they rate them in terms of the five out of the 15 so we'll, we'll definitely do that because I think I think that'd be really interesting for people to to hear but I think without without further ado we should dive straight onto the red carpet massacre and start with the opening track which is the valley which according to Gary J Carroll is the best opener of any Duran Duran album. So Molly, what are your thoughts on The Valley? That's a pretty big boast. I'm not so sure I would go so far as that one, but it's definitely one of my favourites on the album. I've listed it as a grower, not a shower. And even though I have been a little bit negative about the fact that this feels more like a Timberland album than a Duran Duran one, I actually thought The Valley showed a good 
mix and combination of the uh, the Duran Duran sound and the Timberland sound. So yeah, I really like this one. You know, it's funny. I might have to go and listen to as, as I said, is Timberland just a producer? Because I, I couldn't tell you what a Timberland album sounds like. But if they all sound like Red Carpet Massacre, I think I'd quite like them. He's he's a producer, but some of the rappy bits um, were him as well on some of the tracks. So I think he he fancies himself a bit of a producer stroke artist type I might person. Have to check him out. As I say, I would have to go back through all the albums again and listen to the, the 15 opening tracks to see where the valley sits in terms of being the, the best opening track. But I certainly think it's a great opening track. I, I really love this song. I love the start and then just when the guitar comes in, just at the start of it. It's a different sound, obviously, from Astronaut. It's a whole different character and feel to the album and I thought this was a really good song and a good way to introduce that new sound to the fans. You know, obviously for the people who are maybe on the fence with the album or who don't like it so much what they thought, because we saw the reaction, you know, when the Future Past album came out with some of the songs, people had quite a, a visceral negative reaction if they didn't like the, the sound of it. So it'd be interesting if people thought, well, it's not Duran Duran, and that would maybe put them on the, the wrong footing for it. Started off for me what turned out to be a great album. Yeah, and you know that that's an interesting comment that you liken back to Future Past because with Future Past, you know, I definitely think it was a different sound for Duran Duran, but it was a different Duran Duran sound. Whereas this one, it sounded too much like a Timberland album, I think, and that's what was the slight disappointment for me. Although, again, you know, just to be really contrary, I do, I did like the Valley. And I do like the album in general, so I don't know, go figure. The second track on the album is the title track, Red Carpet Massacre, which I think is it's got a definite Duran Duran intro. Even if you heard that we start of it, that's kind of a real, that I felt that gave it a wee identity. And again, in terms of starting the album, I thought this was another, for me, another really, really good track. I'm just kind of middle of the road about this one. Um, I thought it was a little bit shouty, but okay, but because I am the Roger fan that I am. I thought the drum beat through it all was fantastic. Nice, good pounding beat. Yeah, because I think, I think as well, I wonder if there was a nervousness with them because they must have known at the time that they were doing something completely different and how they, they maybe, you know, just you mentioned at the start that there was some conflicting quotes as to whether they enjoyed the, the experience or whether they felt they were under pressure from the record company. But when the album came out, I think there must have been an apprehension as to how it would be perceived by fans, given the, the excitement and the kind of resurgence following the, the reunion and, and Astronaut. Yeah, and it's funny. Um, I had read, I think, one of the Ask Katie questions on the Duran Duran website. Somebody had asked Nick, Nick Rhodes about, you know, does he have a favourite album of all time of Duran Duran? And he made the comment that every album that they've made, they put out, has always been their favourite. Otherwise, it would you would just be... A tortured artist, I think. So, you know, I think whilst maybe with the benefit of, of, of a couple of years hindsight, that was when the more honest negative quotes came out about how the, the band themselves weren't particularly keen on being forced into using Timberland. But, you know, in the moment, I suppose it must be like giving birth because of course you're going to love every child that you create. So, um, yeah, you know, ultimately it's their name on it. So would they ever really put out something really, really horrible? Oh, wait, Pop Trash. <laughs> oh, listen, Paul, I thought Pop Trash was, was a fine album. Yeah, up and down, I think. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the next track, uh, which apparently there had been some reports at the time, I think, in the US music press, that Night Runner, which is the third track in the album, was being considered or supposed to be the first single from the album in the event it ended up being Fallen Down, which was the only song. So where are you on Night Runner? I just think this isn't a Duran, this is just flat out not a Duran Duran track. It's a, it's a Justin Timberlake track. And it's, it's, it's a good song, but not Duran Duran. Because I suppose every time, I mean, any time you do a collaboration, there's always that. Sometimes you have to watch it's who takes over, who takes centre stage. I think it feels very much part of the, the vibe of the album overall. I definitely agree with that one, but I think it's it's the Timberland, Timberlake influence. And, and I don't know, if you've listened to the Justin Timberlake album that came out about the same time, and it, it just sounds like a Justin Timberlake song. It could have been on that album. I think as a point of principle, uh, because Timberland and Timberlake were so, they sounded so much alike, they shouldn't have worked with both of them because it's just confusing me all the time. <laughs> Justin Timberland. 
Well, yeah, and then you can't just because Justin Timberlake is JT, but you can't use JT in this context because for Duran Duran fans, of course, JT is John Taylor. So, yeah, we need to come up with some new lingo for, for this album, I think. I really like this song. And this is the one, she and you were saying about, because I think there's, there's a real dance vibe to it. So I had this thought, I thought, <laughs> my first thought was, and I'm a middle-aged man, so you probably couldn't get away with wearing skinny white jeans and dancing in your kitchen to this, but there's a real, or maybe I did. Or maybe you did, and now I've got a mental picture going. <laughs> and so this is the point where I start to, if I like the first two or three songs, then I'm, I think I'm more than amenable for the way the album's going. So yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of Night Runner and Dancing in the Kitchen in my skinny white jeans. I think, you know, you you just come up with your own rating system, Paul. How many pairs of skinny white jeans would you give this track? <laughs> Marks out of five. <laughs> the fourth track, was actually the only single from the album. I think it was uh, Jason Lent, Velvet Rebel Music, who said it was a, a really poor choice in terms of the first single. I think it's a classic Duran Duran slow song, actually. And again, it's another song that I, I really like this song. Yeah, I like this song as well, but this one was actually produced by Justin Timberlake. I think the others have been, for the majority, uh, produced by Timberland. But yeah, I feel like there was a lot of Timberlake influence in, in on this one and I think he must have had some writing credits for for the song as well um, because apparently it was loosely based around some of the, the female celebrities around at the time who were experiencing issues so the likes of Britney Spears, Kate Moss, Lindsay Lohan, Amy, Amy Winehouse, that sort of thing and you probably don't know this Paul but Justin Timberlake had the relationship uh, with Britney Spears way back in the early or late 90s maybe and I think they were both pretty bitter and twisted about the split. And he did like to write songs, kind of dissing her a little bit. So uh, I think this was his little, another one of his little pot shots at Britney. But in general, regardless of the words, because I know that you don't tend to listen to lyrics too very often, but um, I, I like this one as well. I thought it was a good one. Although I do think I would agree Velvet Rebel Music's argument about the, the poor choice as the first single or the single from the album, which you know, because it's not a big hit, it then sinks the album to an extent and it didn't do so well in terms of the charts. So perhaps a different opening song would have brought people into the album rather than that, which I think is actually a good song. But maybe, maybe as a single choice, it, it wasn't the right choice. Yeah, and, and we know that Duran Duran have fallen foul in the past with giving into their record company's wishes for what was released as singles. So, you know, maybe again, this was Sony really pushing it as to, to what was going to be released and what they thought would be the, the hits, but that doesn't necessarily gel in with, with what the Duran Duran fans would have thought. We are on to track number five, Box Full or oh Honey. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I have found over the course of doing this podcast that definitely repetition of listening to all the songs over and over like, like we do, that a lot of the Duran Duran songs that I wasn't very familiar with have definitely grown on me and become favorites. And this is one of them. And correct me if I'm wrong, but was this not in your top three? Well, it just missed out on the top three. This is one of my favorite Duran Duran tracks of all time. And it almost made it into my top three. I think my top three was Save a Prayer, Secret October, and The Man Who Stole a Leopard. But Box of yeah. Funny was vying for it as one of the songs. I'm a big fan, as everybody knows, of acoustic guitar songs, Duran Duran songs. I don't think they do enough of them. It does seem kind of out of place, this song, on the album, compared to the, the kind of vibe of the, the overall vibe of the album. And I don't know whether that's why immediately you're drawn to it, because it sounds so different from everything else. I've actually put it's a good Duran Duran sound because of the acoustic guitar and because of the pan pipes, kind of a bit reminiscent of Save a Prayer. But yeah, I think you probably hit the nail on the head with that one, that it is the most Duran Duran-like track uh, of the standard album, at least, that's for sure. But yeah, I really do love this song. And it's actually one of one of the, the songs that sticks in my head. And I can just, I hear the chorus all the time. Because after we did those top three, you know, that way you still agonise and go, should I have chosen that? I'm still quite, I'm still happy with my choices, but it's my favourite track on the album because it's one of my, my favourite tracks. We're coming to the end of the first side, as it were, of the Red Carpet Massacre album. We're on to track six. We're on to Skin Divers, which I would have to say, having written this down in my notebook, is another Skinny White Jeans song. 
Fantastic. How many Gilly White Jean songs out of five? How many would you give it? I'd say Night Runner was maybe a, a four out of five. This is maybe about a three out of five in the skinny white jeans ratings. Well, I tell you what, if, if you liked Skin Divers, I think you will really, really like Timberland then because the, uh, the wiki wiki wah, that whole... <laughs> oh, no, everybody, you know, stand up, give me applause for my interpretation <laughs> of the Timberland sound. That was it right there. But um, yeah, that is just so classically Timberland, at least to me it is. But what I quite liked about this one was the first section of it sounded a little Pink Floydy to me, a little bit the wall. I, I don't know what the sound was in particular about it, but uh, yeah, that was my first reaction to it. But again, not a Duran Duran song, Timberland song. I think, I, I think we should just call time in the podcast now because it's not going to get any better than your, your interpretation of the Timberland sound. <laughs> oh, yeah, I can't decide if I want to ask you to edit that one out or keep it in there just for comedy value. <laughs> I, think, I, might, I think I might put it as my ringtone. <laughs> Please do. And then, and then you know, send me a, a recording so I can hear it too. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that's a great song. I love the production on the song. And I think maybe that's to, to your point of Timberland's influence on it. But it kind of takes, that's why, again, if you think Box Full of Honey, so you have Night Runner, then Fallen Down, then Box for Honey is completely different and then you're back into that kind of vibe of the album and Skin Divers but yeah and I think for me they're six really really strong songs and that's the point I think when I was listening to it I'm thinking this is certainly going to be in the upper reaches of my favourite Duran Duran albums because there's not been a song so far that, that I haven't really really liked Well yeah I mean we've done it in the past talking about the albums how many tracks out of out of the whole album are ones that we would rate? So if, if you're going, even if we were to stop now, six out of 12 tracks, you know, you're hitting the 50% rate there. So, so far, so good. Absolutely. Well, we shall continue with Red Carpet Massacre shortly, but I'd mentioned before we had an extra bit of audio and it was an interview I did a while back with uh, a Duran Duran fan called Amy Harbour, who is a model, an actor, a Durani, you can check it out on Twitter. It's at the Amor Cat. And she'd actually got in touch with us to say she listens to the, the podcast and she wanted to come on and do the Red Carpet Massacre podcast episode because she, as, as you'll hear from this clip of the interview, is a very big fan of Red Carpet Massacre and will defend it at all costs. <laughs> Because I should say, although this is only an audio podcast, so people only can only hear us, I have to I take my hat off to you because you, you wore a, a Duran Duran t-shirt just for the occasion. I wore my Red Carpet Massacre because I will defend that album to the death. I will fight you. Well, listen, you, you don't need to fight me because because one of the things when we had this idea, Molly and I, for doing this podcast, and then so I start listening back through the albums, and some are more familiar than others. And I think when I started to listen to Red Carpet Massacre, I think the first time when I listened back through it again, I thought, that is a brilliant album. And I don't know whether it kind of fell between Astronaut and All You Need Is Now because they tried to do something a wee bit different. But I actually think yeah. there's so many good songs on that album. Well, you also have to remember that Red Carpet Massacre was not planned. It was supposed to be reportage. And so, you know, they completely scrapped that and then threw this together. I mean, to be fair, as a band, that's not bad if you're throwing something like that yeah. together, really. Yeah. And I love the fact that it's Timbaland. He was the hot producer at the time. And a lot of people claim them as selling out doing that, but they've always been ones to try new things and be the groundbreakers and be the first to do stuff. And I just love all the sound. I mean, that was the big thing. I mean, Kanye West was also big at that in that like middle of the aughts. So I love that hip-hop influence into Duran Duran's sound because they're not afraid to try new things. It's funny you should say that because loads of people I've spoken to, that seems to be a recurring theme, that the reason why we are still talking 40 years after we first fell in love with the band is because they're not doing the same thing, that they're always yeah. trying something different. They just kept doing the same thing. At some point, you'd probably either get fed up or you would drop off. But as you say... Suddenly they bring out Red Carpet Massacre and, and you think, well, they're trying to do something different. Yeah, or you become a nostalgia act. Yeah, exactly. And, and you're playing county fairs. I totally agree with you. 
you think it's because it sounds so different that it seems to divide, you know, it's obviously not universally loved, as you say, you're, you're ready to fight anybody who disagrees with you. It's underappreciated. I mean, if you ask me, I mean, uh, my only fault against it is Justin Timberlake, just because you, I mean, we've later learned how problematic he is in some ways. We won't go into that here, but there are some problematic issues with Justin Timberlake. Some of them were shown in the Britney Spears documentary, but that's my only fault against the album. But I mean, you can dance to this album. There's a lot of good ones. There's a reason Tempted is still in the set list. The band obviously likes it. Because again, I wonder, because when they sort of reformed as the five piece to bring out Astronaut and everybody was quite excited. And as you say, they've had hints recently that what would have been reportage might be making an appearance at some point, which is quite exciting. And then obviously all you need is now was kind of going back to that kind of original sound. And that's why I wonder sometimes if Red Carpet Massacre kind of fell between the cracks because then people just forget about it because of those two other albums. Yeah, and also because it's so, I mean, like you said, you went from the original five to, you know, basically rebooted Rio, which is all you need is now. And it's such a different sound that it's jarring to some people. I, I think even from the first, as soon as you turn it on, the first, uh, right at the very start of the valley, uh, that hooks me right yeah. away. I mean, I, yeah, think that's I mean you've got that, that bass line on the valley. is just incredible. And I love the valley because at the time I was living in what was called the Valley of Los Angeles. So I was like, oh, the valley. I live in the valley. So <laughs> and if you're not familiar with Los Angeles, basically when you go over the Hollywood Hills, you enter like the little suburby neighborhoods of like Encino, Reseda, Studio City, which John Taylor actually wrote a song about with his solo stuff, you know, Burbank. So all those places that get really hot during the summer and sweltering, whereas on the other side of the hill, it's a little cooler. I mean, in terms of the actual, the album, what songs stand out for you? Definitely Tempted. I even did a photo shoot based on it. I love the concert visuals. Box full of honey. I'm actually looking over here, having it up. So I was like, so I can keep focused here. I really like Skin Divers. I like it so much. I bought the perfume. (laughs) (laughs) So thanks to Amy for taking part in that podcast. And uh, I I don't think she's literally going to fight anybody who disrespects Red Carpet Massacre, but certainly... It kind of goes, and I think probably if we listen back to all the podcast episodes, we, we do repeat ourselves in terms of saying this is one of the things that we really love about it is the fact that everybody can love the band, but within that, the discography, people like different songs, different albums, and some people are passionate about other albums. People, you know, as you've said it before, come to Duran Janet at different points, and at the point you come to it, that's generally where you have the biggest maybe affection for the first album you heard. It's just an ongoing, brilliant thing of how... So some people, like Amy, like me even, love Red Carpet Massacre. Other people don't. But that's that's absolutely fine. Exactly. And, you know, that's the reason why I love Twitter so much, because it brings up the conversations. And and uh, people have been fairly forthcoming, even their, their positives and their negatives when it comes to the Duran Duran album. So please keep them on coming. And I also think as well, not that I'm saying that we're doing a public service here, but I do think, <laughs> but we are. But actually, a few people have said that what they've quite liked is the fact that it's made them go back the same way as it has with us. It's go back through and listen to albums that you've maybe not listened to, you're not listened to in depth for a long time. And that, to me, is an ongoing pleasure again of over the last few weeks, really listening to Red Carpet Massacre, you know, in the car, in the house, out walking. And it's great just being able to re-engage with all those songs that you've maybe forgotten about over the years. Totally, totally agree with you on that one. This whole podcast experience that we've had has just taken me back and really reminded me that I am a proper Duran Duran fan. And, and you know, I'm going to make sure that, that I keep in touch more with, the, with these albums because, you know, I did have that, that period of, gosh, a good 10 years or so that I didn't really listen to much Duran Duran, but uh, they'll definitely remain within my uh, set list for all time to come. And uh, the other good thing for me is that obviously as we return to Red Carpet Massacre with track seven, which is Tempted, it's, it's given me a good excuse to get the skinny white jeans out and do a bit of kitchen dance. 
man, those poor skinny white jeans are not going to be white for much longer with that. <laughs> well, I think tempted. I mean, I didn't even bother. I was going to say getting out of them, but I mean, trying to get a pair of skinny white jeans on in my, in my age, then they're kind of stuck. You just basically have to put other <laughs> trousers over them now. Well, if they're truly skinny enough, then yes, they're just like a second skin. It's, it's, a, it's, it's not a pretty sight. Thankfully, this is just an audio podcast. But um, Tempted is, for me, another really good song and the kind of dance vibe of Red Carpet Massacre. Yeah, I mean, I know that we, we've kind of cut the album in half for, for the purposes of the podcast. But I felt like Tempted was just a nice segue from Skin Divers into this next track. I don't think I liked it as much as I, I like Skin Divers. I just put just okay. Didn't yeah. have a lot to say about that. I mean, if I'd known beforehand that I was going to have to rate some of these songs in terms of how many pairs of skinny weight jeans I would have seen, I think probably Skin Divers is slightly better than Tempted for me, but that's another really good song. I'm going to say something that's the last podcast we did, I mentioned lyrics a couple of times which I know I don't usually bother about. This podcast, Tricked Out, which is an instrumental. I'm sorry, but I really liked it. And I don't know whether because I know it's a shock. Has the earth just shifted in some way? I can't believe it. I think that's maybe just because you're in LA, is it not? <laughs> maybe that's, maybe that, yeah. It's just totally tripped out the whole space-time continuum, I think, you saying that you liked it. There's two reasons why... I think it fits, I think the, the song fits in with the album. I think the tune, I also think it's two minutes 46, so it's a song length tune. It's not just one of their kind of 30-second interludes. And I'd listened to it a couple of times. I found myself thinking, I really like this. And I know it's an instrumental, but I suppose every, there's an exception to the rule, isn't there, every time? Absolutely. I think just when you think that you've got things set in stone, then something's going to come along to change that one. I thought it was just, it was all right. I had, I thought it definitely had kind of Devo type vibes to it. And then there was, um, funnily enough, a band from LA in the 80s, I think they were in the 80s, uh, Berlin. And I thought it was very much that, that sort of vibe to it. And, and again, kind of space agey. So, I, you know, I'd made the comment, I think for Astronaut, that that had a space agey vibe. And maybe this was like a little bit of a, a, a leftover of that astronaut space age vibe. But um I would have to, I put down here pointless instrumental. So I thought it was going to be like the two of us, you know, united again against the instrumental. But what is it about Duran Duran that always, they always feel like they need to put an instrumental on just about every single one of the albums? I mean, this, as I say, this one, because it's almost the, I mean, it's the shortest track, but I mean, there's a couple of songs that are just over three minutes that they could have stuck lyrics on it. But and again, maybe because it's a bit longer, it works for me. And actually, what I think works really well with that song. I think it really leads in to zoom in. I, th I think the combination of those two songs back to back, for me, really, really works well. And actually, I like that segue between the two of them. Well, you know, uh, again, it goes back to the whole Timberland production. He, he produces, whilst it's technically R&B, it's still pop. And, and you're not going to get very long songs in the pop world, are you? So following that formula pretty closely. So yeah, zoom in. It's probably one of the more rockier songs on on the album but with a really good driving beat but I've, I've put it doesn't it's not really a Duran Duran beat I don't know if because it is a bit of a rockier vibe that maybe Roger is more of a dance drum beat I don't know I could be talking absolute nonsense but that was just kind of my my first impressions of the song yeah I, I like it I mean and I think it's at the time when it was written uh, I mean if you say if you called a song zoom in now it'd be obviously reference to, to Zoom, probably. So I, I bet either that they were quite prophetic. Maybe so, yeah. Who knew? Maybe yeah. Simon Le Bon has a crystal ball. <laughs> Moving on swiftly. She's Too Much is the next track. And what are your thoughts on that? I liked it, but I think I ended up paying too much attention to the lyrics. And I think I kind of, that kind of dragged me down a little bit. I, I found a quote from, from Nick Rhodes about the track. And he said, this is a key track, a storytelling ballad, which touches base with our traditional songwriting. Simon Le Bon's lyrics tend to be ambiguous, but here he makes no secret about who he's singing about. Simon Le Bon said, it's about my 16-year-old daughter, Saffron. Uh, she was in the studio that day and triggered the lyrics. I didn't know I was writing about her until the second line, she's everything head first. It tells a story. It's a soft moment on the album. And I guess because I read all that, as I was listening to the album, it just feels a little bit too mushy and sentimental for me. It's okay, but yeah, not one of yeah. my favorites. 
it's maybe not the strongest song on the album, but at this point, I'm, I'm in hook, line and sinker, so I, I really like it as well. And as I say, that this point, you know that way every now and again, I don't know if you do it, but I'm, I'm sitting listening to whatever album it is at the time, and then I start thinking, I start listing all the different, the 15 albums, and then trying to place them. You know, there's one or two that are set in stone in the top five, then there's maybe at the moment there's another four or five that are vying for those other three positions. And and so by the point it gets to She's Too Much, I'm thinking, that's really strange. I would never have predicted that Red Carpet Massacre would have been right up there, making a strong in my a strong case and to make it into my top five. Fair enough, fair enough. Dirty Great Monster, which is the eleventh track on the album. We're gonna have an honorable mention at the end. A couple of people had mentioned earlier on Cry Baby Cry, the the bonus track on the Japanese version, we'll, we'll talk about that. But for me, Dirty Great Monster, it, it almost hints at being either could be a, a, a like a quite a strong guitar song that it's the sort of song that if they had like Andy Taylor there, it would it would have been a real. It's almost a kind of a rocky feel to it, but without the heavy guitars on it. The bit that I kind of pulled out for, from this song was the the sax. I think the saxophone you, you mentioned it in in some of the the earlier albums that they seem to be like case lots of of saxophone on, on a lot of the tracks and I thought that this didn't sound quite like the old Duran Duran sax and I was just like mm, is it maybe more a bit like uh, a Spandau Ballet sax then I got I was like Molly get over yourself but yeah again this is this was one that I was kind of like listening to the to the words and I had a bit of background Simon had answered a question on the Ask Katie section of the Duran Duran site and um, somebody had asked him what the meaning was behind that and he must cringe when people ask him to explain, you know, the meanings behind songs, because as people have said, his songs can be quite ambiguous and don't really mean a whole lot. But apparently this one was about somebody close to his extended family and he's not that he wasn't at liberty to be any more specific than that. And he said, my own personal dirty, great monster would probably have been Mr. Ponsford, deputy headmaster and his swishing cane. This is going to hurt me a lot more than it hurts you. Bollocks did it which made me kind of laugh. But um, yeah, I guess uh, it just kind of calls to mind that Dirty Great Monster, everybody's probably got a Dirty Great Monster in their lives of some form or other. I also think as well for people who, particularly people who maybe either put great store in, in lyrics and, and they maybe resonate with people at a certain time in their life over certain things. I'm not sure if you really want or need the songwriter to interpret it because you might either interpret it differently or it means something different to you. And then if somebody comes along and and says, nah, nah, it's not about that, that kind of, negates to an extent what the impact the songs had in you. So I think if it means something to you and it resonates with you, either the words or the music or whatever, the, the feel of the song, that's enough. You don't need to ask Simon Le Bon what he was talking about. If the words mean something to you, then that's enough. And that's the whole reason why we, we started doing this podcast, wasn't it? To to kind of reignite our memories of Duran Duran. And, and that's what this has been about. It, it's like putting these albums into a time and place. And, and it's about our, our memories of these albums. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right that it shouldn't be about what necessarily the, the songwriter's original intentions had been. It's about what it does for you and what it says to you at that time and place. And maybe it, maybe it morphs and changes over the, over the years. And maybe it, it just will always be a lasting memory about that. We are on to track 12 which is Last Man Standing, which in the, the UK and I think the US versions, that would have been the last track. You know, Duran Duran, they do kind of slow things down sometimes with the, the last track. There's a few over the years, and I think Last Man Standing for me sits quite comfortably in that feeling of, to an extent, what we're talking about, about it'd be interesting to do a favourite first track off a Duran Duran album. It'd be interesting to do one of, of favourite last tracks as well. This wouldn't be my favourite last track, but I think it's it's a it's a good track to sign off the album on. I I agree with you. I think it's it's a good last track. And I suppose the way that that I'm kind of thinking of of this album is rating it as to the levels of Duran Duranness. And Box Full of Honey, I think, was definitely Duran Duran sound. And I think Last Man Standing is again a good sign of, of a Duran Duran sound. Although just a, it it was updated with a being updated with the the hip hop heavy bass and drum beat on it towards the end but it was just it was still Duran Duran but contemporary for the times so yeah I think it makes a nice pointer back to the Duran Duran sound that I love and we mentioned a few times about the 
bonus track that was on the Japanese version of the Red Carpet Massacre album, Cry Baby Cry. And, and you and I, before we started recording, I've noticed this before, that Duran uh, Duran seemed to reward their Japanese fans quite often with some brilliant extra tracks on the album, which we get eventually, we hear. It was only really when I first time when I listened to Red Carpet Massacre in advance of doing this podcast. And on Spotify, Cry Baby Cry is just listed as track 13. And it was just when I was looking at it, I realised, looking into it, I realised it was a bonus track. For me, that should be on the album. I'd have to have a think about what song would be dropped for it. That's one of the best songs, I think, out of the 13. And I agree with you. I think it's it's one of my favourite tracks on the album. And I just, I wonder, with it being only a bonus track uh, in, in Japan, whether Timbaland actually had a finger in it at all. Maybe this is like the only pure Duran Duran track there. And maybe that's the reason why I liked it so much. But yeah, I, I felt it was a it was a cracking Duran Duran tune. And then the kind of overall feel of the album and, and what we've been saying in terms of the podcast, I would be listening to this as the just as track 13, and it would just give me one last chance to put the skinny white jeans on again. <laughs> so does this mean then that Red Carpet Massacre? is the White Skinny Jeans album. Does it mean you'll retire the White Skinny Jeans? Did they um, make an appearance for uh, more joy on Future Path? Well, I think I can dust them down for that, yeah. But they, uh, they're certainly, I think this is certainly the danciest of the Duran Duran albums. Absolutely um, agree. And as I say, I mean, I think it's, it's interesting trying to agonise over your top five, even just trying to place all 15, is because there's one or two that, that will be right at the bottom of the 15. But then there's a whole raft of albums that wouldn't quite get into the top five, but why would a certain album be seven and not 12? But there's, you know, there's a whole raft of them that you could you could actually just interplay them and just switch them because there's a lot of quite strong albums that don't quite make it to the top. But at the moment, for me, Red Carpet Massacres certainly... It wouldn't surprise me when I come to sit down and do the top five if that will be as one of the five. I, I like it that much. I just, I do like the album and, you know, it is great, but it's just not a Duran Duran album. I don't feel like I can stick it into the, into my ratings of the Duran Duran albums. I mean, I know, I know it is a Duran Duran album, but I think for that reason, I'm going to have to leave it out because then, then we'd have to rate it against all the albums that we've ever heard that have ever been released then, I think. In terms of Duran Duran albums? Well, no, I, I just, it's a great album, but I just don't feel like it's a Duran Duran album. So I, I, I don't think I'm going to include it in my list, actually. In your top five or top 15? In the top 15 at all. But should, would you do the same then for the Thank You album? Well, that's just a stinker and, and that will be number 15, but um, or 14, based on what I've just said. But I mean, can you, I mean... Yeah, but that, but you, I mean, that was... But, but if it, if it, you know, it's not, there's not any Duran Duran songs on that album. So, but you would rate a covers album as a Duran Duran album, but not an album full of Duran Duran original songs as a Duran Duran album, just because it sounds different. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I can't proclaim that uh, it makes any sense, but <laughs> <laughs> that, those are my thoughts. Yeah, well, it's interesting. That's, that's, that's probably the biggest departure for the two of us in terms of uh, when we've been doing the albums, actually. And yeah, I mean, that, that's just the thing. I, I don't, I'm not being negative about this at all. You know, I, I, I did really, really like the album, but I would, if I didn't know any better, if somebody just stuck that album on, I would say it's a Timberland, Justin Timberlake album. And I think I would probably be quite surprised when somebody goes, oh, that's Simon singing. And I would have to probably listen quite hard and go, oh yeah, so it is. But um, Well, listen, I'll let, I'll let you off if you can do that with Timberland impression again. <laughs> <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> it was a one-time only trick. <laughs> it, it, it was worth it just for that alone. You have to go back and listen to that song now so you can hear it. And then maybe you'll hear my voice rather than, than Timberlands. <laughs> <laughs> See what that does to your opinions on the song. We have come to the end of Red Carpet Massacre. So in terms of all the albums to date that we've done, that's probably one where the two of us have deviated most. Just in, as you say, and I, th I don't think, even if you think back to some of the comments, there was a few people that did say kind of similar to what you said is that just because it was it just wasn't that Duran Duran sound. So uh, and that's maybe why it certainly divides opinion. One of the things I mentioned it just there and it's something you've said a few times about the idea of when people 
find Duran Duran. You know, we were lucky in some respects that it was very, either right at the very start or very, very early on in our lives and in Duran Duran's uh, life as a band. But we've now got a top three from a Duran Duran fan in Argentina called Maria who got in touch with us. She's 24, as she explains in this clip that you're going to hear. And it's brilliant because she is, I suppose, obviously a more recent convert to the Duran Duran world. Although she, she points out that, you know, she's maybe been aware of the songs or that she, she knows the songs without being aware of who it was for a lot longer. But this is this is one of the things, we're just going to let you listen to Maria, but this is one of the things that I think is just brilliant about this band and how they are crossing over different generations because of the music. So this is Maria, another fan from Argentina on the podcast with our top three. Hello, I'm Maria from Neuquén, Argentina, a province in the south of the country, an area mostly known as Patagonia. You can say I'm a Duran in the making because I discovered Duran Duran in late August of 2021, although later I realised that I've been listening to them my whole life because the music has been played on the radio non-stop for 40 years. I'm 25, by the way. It's difficult to name only three top songs by Duran Duran, uh, however, these are the three that came to mind immediately. Number one, The Chauffeur, from the Rio album. The first time I listened to it, I thought it was a song they had released in one of the recent albums, and I had the same thought with the video. I love the sort of mysterious atmosphere that The Chauffeur has. The lyrics show how great of songwriter Simon Le Bon is, and how talented Simon, John, Nick, Roger and Andy are to make a song recorded 40 years ago sound so contemporary. Number two is Skin Trade. Because of the rhythm and the falsetto, I thought it was a Prince song the first time I heard it. Uh, in the Notorious album, the band let their funky side loose, and with Nile Rodgers, they made a great album, even though the recording label didn't get it at the time. Uh, this song has a Latin American vibe to it, in my opinion, and that makes me want to dance every single time it comes out, and I actually do. Simon's vocals are great, and John's bass thrives throughout the song. He's a great bass player, he deserves more recognition. It's a shame that he's so underrated, as well as the band. And finally, there's Palomino. Uh, nobody knows what the lyrics are about, and personally, that doesn't bother me. Uh, I love the slow rhythm it has. It's sort of sensual, and in my opinion, it has a, a feeling of sort of oh-so-in-love desperation. Uh, that you can hear in the melody, uh, especially at the end. The vocals are sublime. I love the beat of the drums in this song. I know that Roger wasn't part of the band anymore at that time, but whoever was the drummer, great job, buddy. I've told to a couple of people to listen to this song, and they all love it. Uh, the keyboard part is the only one that I don't agree with. It sounds a bit off compared to the rest of the song, but it's Nick Rhodes, so I let it pass. Uh, as bonus tracks, I'll mention Friends of Mine, because it's a rock song that makes me dance. Uh, More Joy from the Future Past album. It's my favorite song from that record. Uh, I show it to a friend of mine who is not a Durani. She doesn't know anything about Duran Duran. And she loved it. She said that she really enjoyed it. And it reminded her a bit of the band Gorillaz. And third, I'll say Come Undone. Because when I found out it was a Duran Duran song, I immediately remembered how excited I will get as a little child, when I would hear that song on the radio. Uh, I had no idea who was it by, what the name of the song was at that time, but just the sheer joy that I had every time that I listened to that song, it's a great memory, and it shows just how great of a band Duran Duran is. So these are my top six, I guess, <laughs> and, um, well, hope you enjoy it, and um, happy holidays. And I think, Molly, when I when I sent you that audio of Maria to listen to ahead of doing the podcast, and I think the first thing you came back and said it was brilliant to hear a, a young fan say that she's 24, but, but also having got into the band, really going back in and delving into the back catalogue and speaking so knowledgeably about 
the band and the songs. And it's amazing to think that, you know, so for example, Save a Prayer is one of my favourite songs, one of your favourite songs. We heard that at the time. And people can hear those sort of songs are from other albums fresh now. And there's just, I have a certain slight envy of people who, you know, we've got that, but then you can then, you're hearing those songs for the first time and going, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, I was blown away really by uh, the comments that she made uh, on her clip because she's obviously quite a bit younger than, than us. And um, the fact that, you know, she's really got into it and that Duran Duran can still be, even after 40 years, be relevant to a 50-year-old, 50, 50 a 24-year-old, a 35-year-old. You know, that, that's awesome that it can span the generation, that they can span the generations like that. And that she is such a fan that she has gone all the way back and she's her, her top three, well, her top six, let's be fair, covers all the, the decades of, of the Duran Duran discography. So yeah, I was just fantastic. I, I just loved hearing her thoughts on them all. And, you know, please, please, I don't know how many you've got in the can for top threes, Paul, but, you know, please do send yours in. I'm loving listening to everybody's. Yeah. I mean, I think one of her three songs was Palomino, which to what you were saying is for her to go back and listen through the whole discography and pick a song from the Big Thing album is brilliant. And again, you know, I suppose it's like for all of us, whenever you discover a new artist, it may be somebody that's been about for years and years, but it just so happens, you know, we've all done it, but you suddenly stumble upon a song, you think that's great. And you suddenly realise they've got all these albums that you hadn't heard before. And it's quite exciting to go back and listen to that. And that must be the case for everybody who at whatever point comes to Duran Duran and they've now got 15 albums that span 40 years that they can listen to and all different sounds. And that, that must be a great music, musical journey just to take even now. Imagine that. I mean, I can't even put it into any sort of context for myself because I can't think of any other band that I listened to that I would have come to them late on in the game and they would have that catalogue of that sort of depth. That's just amazing. That'd just be like so awesome. Very cool. Absolutely. So thanks to Maria from Argentina. So it's the same. We've got a, we seem to have a strong support in South America for the podcast, which is great. More importantly, I suppose, it means that Duran Duran have got a very strong fan base because we know we get some, some fans from Argentina, some fans from Brazil who have been tweeting this and what have you. So I suppose that gives a, an indication of the global appeal of Duran Duran. They still got it. <laughs> and as always, if you, if you want to get in touch with us, we have our email address, which is duranduran at paulcuddehy.com or you can get in touch with us on Twitter at Albums Duran. You know, I'm said right at the very start of the podcast. So that was as it should do album number 12. Uh, we're up to number 13 next, which uh, will be All You Need Is Now, uh, which again, I think probably more universally loved, I would say, than, than Red Carpet Massacre. Because um, it was the, I suppose it's that influence of Timbaland, Timberlake on this album in terms of production. But Mark Ronson, in terms of the, the All You Need Is Now, wanted them to go back and refine their original sound and just make it more up to date. And you can really feel that. It's, it's really, that is an absolute and total Duran Duran album, as you, particularly for fans of the 80s, would imagine a Duran Duran album should sound like. And I think um, Mark Ronson is a massive Duran Duran fan. And I think, it, you know, very deliberate, his intentions on that one. I haven't even started doing the research yet for it all, but I know... I keep seeing All You Need Is Now is just time and time again a favourite of the Duran Duranis out there. So I'm looking forward to delving into that one. Yeah, I mean, it's not, I don't think it's a, well, for me, it's not a massive giveaway to say that, I mean, certainly in my top five, then two of the five would be real and All You Need Is Now. Because I think those two are interlinked in terms of they kind of span those decades. But the sound, the link, and you can see where one's coming from for the other one and yeah, all you need is now is just a, it's a phenomenal, for me, it's a phenomenal album. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> As you say, definitely. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to that one. And uh, by that point, I'll be back in dull, dreary England. So I'll be looking forward to cheering myself up with having a good listen to that one. Well, uh, excellent. And on the flight home, of course, you could start and just give it a wee listen to in between, in between snoozing. We'll see if I can manage that one. Definitely. But as always, thanks to everybody for listening to the podcast. We say it all the time. It's been a total blast for us just to be listening to these albums and chatting about it. But the fact that everybody's been so positive and enjoying it and giving us such great feedback, it's just wonderful. 
And I, I would like to think, you know, we, we've had some really great support on the podcast. So please, please do keep it coming and keep listening and keep putting it out there. Tell your friends about it. But wouldn't it be great, like, if or when things become normal and travel is a little bit easier, we could do like a podcast reunion and actually meet all the people that we, we've become friends with during the course of this podcast. That would be ace. And that would be quite interesting, given the fact that some of them are in South America, some of them in North America. You're in England, I'm in Scotland. That would be, well, good luck organising that one. Well, you know, maybe maybe there'll be something done. Maybe Duran Duran will do something. Maybe they'll finally get in touch and we can organise something in Birmingham. You know, get everybody together. Be the ultimate, ultimate Duran Duran reunion anniversary affair. <laughs> <laughs> right, we'll leave that with the band then. Absolutely. Call us. The Wiki Wiki Wah! Thanks for joining us on the Duran Duran Albums Podcast, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you can subscribe to the podcast and rate and review us, that will help other Duranis to find us. And of course, if you can spread the word about the podcast, all the better. You can also let us know what you think of the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Albums Duran or email us at durandoran at paulcarahy.com. Join us next time on the podcast, and in the meantime... Keep listening to Duran Duran like some new romantic looking for the TV sound.